Sections 145 to 156 of Barclay's Treatise. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Carl Manchester, 2009. A Treatise Concerning the Principles of Human Knowledge, Part 1. By George Barclay. 145. From what has been said, it is plain that we cannot know the existence of other spirits otherwise than by their operations, or the ideas by them excited in us. I perceive several motions, changes, and combinations of ideas that inform me there are certain particular agents, like myself, which accompany them and concur in their production. Hence, the knowledge I have of other spirits is not immediate, as is the knowledge of my ideas, but depending on the intervention of ideas, by me referred to agents or spirits distinct from myself, as effects or concomitant signs. 146. But, though there be some things which convince us human agents are concerned in producing them, yet it is evident to every one that those things which are called the works of nature, that is, the far greater part of the ideas or sensations perceived by us, are not produced by, or dependent on, the wills of men. There is, therefore, some other spirit that causes them, since it is repugnant that they should subsist by themselves. See section 29. But, if we attentively consider the constant regularity, order, and concatenation of natural things, the surprising magnificence, beauty, and perfection of the larger and the exquisite contrivance of the smaller parts of creation, together with the exact harmony and correspondence of the whole, but above all, the never enough admired laws of pain and pleasure, and the instincts or natural inclinations, appetites and passions of animals, I say if we consider all these things, and at the same time attend to the meaning and import of the attributes, one, eternal, infinitely wise, good and perfect, we shall clearly perceive that they belong to the aforesaid spirit, quote, who works all in all, end quote, and, quote, by whom all things consist. End quote. 147. Hence it is evident that God is known as certainly and immediately as any other mind or spirit whatsoever distinct from ourselves. We may even assert that the existence of God is far more evidently perceived than the existence of men, because the effects of nature are infinitely more numerous and considerable than those ascribed to human agents. There is not any one mark that denotes a man, or effect produced by him, which does not more strongly evince the being of that spirit, who is the author of nature. For it is evident that in affecting other persons, the will of man has no other object than barely the motion of the limbs of his body but that such a motion should be attended by or excite any idea in the mind of another depends wholly on the will of the creator he alone it is who quote, upholding all things by the word of his power end quote, maintains that intercourse between spirits 
whereby they are able to perceive the existence of each other. And yet this pure and clear light, which enlightens everyone, is itself invisible. 148. It seems to be a great pretense of the unthinking herd that they cannot see God. Could we but see him, say they, as we see a man, we should believe that he is, and believing, obey his commands. But alas, we need only open our eyes to see the Sovereign Lord of all things, with a more full and clear view than we do any one of our fellow creatures. Not that I imagine we may see God, as some will have it, by a direct and immediate view, or see corporeal things, not by themselves, but by seeing that which represents them in the essence of God, which doctrine is, I must confess, to me, incomprehensible. But I shall explain my meaning. A human spirit or person is not perceived by sense, as not being an idea. When, therefore, we see the colour, size, figure and motions of a man, we perceive only certain sensations or ideas excited in our own minds, and these being exhibited to our view in sundry distinct collections, serve to mark out unto us the existence of finite and created spirits like ourselves. Hence it is plain we do not see a man, if by a man is meant that which lives, moves, perceives and thinks as we do, but only such a certain collection of ideas as directs us to think there is a distinct principle of thought and motion, like ourselves, accompanying and represented by it. And after the same manner we see God. All the difference is that whereas some one finite and narrow assemblage of ideas denotes a particular human mind, whithersoever we direct our view, we do at all times and in all places perceive manifest tokens of the divinity. Everything we see, hear, feel, or anywise perceive by sense, being a sign or effect of the power of God, as is our perception of those very motions which are produced by men. 149. It is therefore plain that nothing can be more evident to anyone that is capable of the least reflection than the existence of God, or a spirit who is intimately present to our minds, producing in them all that variety of ideas or sensations which continually affect us, on whom we have an absolute and entire dependence, in short, quote, in whom we live and move and have our being, end quote. That the discovery of this great truth, which lies so near and obvious to the mind, should be attained by the reason of so very few, is a sad instance of the stupidity and inattention of men, who, though they are surrounded with such clear manifestations of the deity, are yet so little affected by them that they seem, as it were, blinded with excess of light. 150. But, you will say, hath nature no share in the production of natural things? and must they be all ascribed to the immediate and sole operation of God? I answer, if by nature is meant only the visible series of effects or sensations imprinted on our minds, according to certain fixed and general laws, then it is plain that nature, taken in this sense, cannot produce anything at all. But if by nature is meant some being distinct from God, as well as from the laws of nature, 
and things perceived by sense, I must confess that word is to me an empty sound without any intelligible meaning annexed to it. Nature, in this acceptation, is a vain chimera, introduced by those heathens who had not just notions of the omnipresent and infinite perfection of God. But it is more unaccountable that it should be received among Christians professing belief in the Holy Scriptures, which constantly ascribe those effects to the immediate hand of God, that heathen philosophers are wont to impute to nature. Quote, the Lord he causeth the vapours to ascend, he maketh lightnings with rain, he bringeth forth the wind out of his treasures. End quote. Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 13. Quote, he turneth the shadow of death into the morning, and maketh the day dark with night. End quote. Amos chapter 5 verse 8. Quote, he visiteth the earth, and maketh it soft with showers. He blesseth the springing thereof, and crowneth the year with his goodness, so that the pastures are clothed with flocks, and the valleys are covered over with corn. End quote. See Psalm 65. But, notwithstanding that this is the constant language of Scripture, yet we have I know not what aversion from believing that God concerns himself so nearly in our affairs. Fain would we suppose him at a great distance off and substitute some blind unthinking deputy in his stead, though, if we may believe St. Paul, quote, he be not far from every one of us, end quote. 151. It will, I doubt not, be objected that the slow and gradual methods observed in the production of natural things do not seem to have for their cause the immediate hand of an almighty agent. Besides, monsters, untimely births, fruits blasted in the blossom, rains falling in desert places, miseries incident to human life, and the like, are so many arguments that the whole frame of nature is not immediately actuated and superintended by a spirit of infinite wisdom and goodness. But the answer to this objection is in a good measure plain from section 62, it being visible that the aforesaid methods of nature are absolutely necessary in order to working by the most simple and general rules, and after a steady and consistent manner, which argues both the wisdom and goodness of God. Such is the artificial contrivance of this mighty machine of nature, that whilst its motions and various phenomena strike on our senses, the hand which actuates the whole is itself unperceivable to men of flesh and blood. Quote, Verily, End quote, saith the prophet, quote, Thou art a God that hidest thyself. End quote. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 15. But though the Lord conceal himself from the eyes of the sensual and lazy, who will not be at the least expense of thought, yet to an unbiased and attentive mind, nothing can be more plainly legible than the intimate presence of an all-wise spirit who fashions, regulates, and sustains the whole system of beings. It is clear from what we have elsewhere observed that the operating according to general and stated laws is so necessary for our guidance in the affairs of life and letting us into the secret of nature that without it all reach and compass of thought, all human sagacity and design could serve to no manner of purpose. 
it were even impossible that there should be any such faculties or powers in the mind see section thirty one which one consideration abundantly outbalances whatever particular inconveniences may thence arise a hundred and fifty two we should further consider that the very blemishes and defects of nature are not without their use in that they make an agreeable sort of variety and augment the beauty of the rest of the creation as shades in a picture serve to set off the brighter and more enlightened parts we would likewise do well to examine whether our taxing the waste of seeds and embryos and accidental destruction of plants and animals before they come to full maturity as an imprudence to the author of nature be not the effect of prejudice contracted by our familiarity with impotent and saving mortals in man indeed a thrifty management of those things which he cannot procure without much pains and industry may be esteemed wisdom but we must not imagine that the inexplicably fine machines of an animal or vegetable cost the great creator any more pains and trouble in its production than a pebble does nothing being more evident than that the omnipotent spirit can indifferently produce everything by a mere fiat or act of his will hence it is plain that the splendid profusion of natural things should not be interpreted weakness or prodigality in the agent who produces them but rather be looked on as an argument of the riches of his power a hundred and fifty three as for the mixture of pain or uneasiness which is in the world pursuant to the general laws of nature and the actions of finite imperfect spirits this in the state we are in at present is indispensably necessary to our well-being but our prospects are too narrow we take for instance the idea of some one particular pain into our thoughts and account it evil whereas if we enlarge our view so as to comprehend the various ends connections and dependencies of things on what occasions and in what proportions we are affected with pain and pleasure the nature of human freedom and the design with which we are put into the world we shall be forced to acknowledge that those particular things which considered in themselves appear to be evil have the nature of good when considered as linked with the whole system of beings 154 from what has been said it will be manifest to any considering person that it is merely for want of attention and comprehensiveness of mind that there are any favourers of atheism or the manichean heresy to be found little and unreflecting souls may indeed burlesque the works of providence the beauty and order whereof they have not capacity or will not be at the pains to comprehend but those who are masters of any justness and extent of thought and are withal used to reflect can never sufficiently admire the divine traces of wisdom and goodness that shine throughout the economy of nature but what truth is there which shineth so strongly on the mind that by an aversion of thought a wilful shutting of the eyes we may not escape seeing it it is therefore to be wondered at if the generality of men who are ever intent on business or pleasure and little used to fix or open the eye of their mind should not have all that conviction and evidence of the being of god 
which might be expected in reasonable creatures. 155. We should rather wonder that men can be found so stupid as to neglect, than that neglecting they should be unconvinced of such an evident and momentous truth, and yet it is to be feared that too many of parts and leisure who live in Christian countries are, merely through a supine and dreadful negligence, sunk into atheism, since it is downright impossible that a soul pierced and enlightened with a thorough sense of the omnipresence, holiness and justice of that almighty spirit should persist in a remorseless violation of his laws. We ought, therefore, earnestly to meditate and dwell on those important points, that so we may attain conviction without all scruple, quote, that the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good, that he is with us and keepeth us in all places whither we go, and giveth us bread to eat and raiment to put on, end quote that he is present and conscious to our innermost thoughts, and that we have a most absolute and immediate dependence on him, a clear view of which great truths cannot choose but fill our hearts with an awful circumspection and holy fear, which is the strongest incentive to virtue and the best guard against vice. 156. For, after all, what deserves the first place in our studies is the consideration of God and our duty, which to promote, as it was the main drift and design of my labours, so shall I esteem them altogether useless and ineffectual, if, by what I have said, I cannot inspire my readers with a pious sense of the presence of God, and having shewn the falseness or vanity of those barren speculations which make the chief employment of learned men, the better dispose them to reverence and embrace the salutary truths of the gospel, which to know and to practice is the highest perfection of human nature. The End Of A Treatise Concerning the Principles of Human Knowledge Part 1